everybody, good morning. It is a crazy week with riots in so many cities and tensions are high and a president that seems ready to incite people to anger, cities burning and people being murdered with George Floyd and so many like him. So when I left work last night, I messaged a prior guest of the show, Mark Van Steenwick, and he's come on before to talk about, you know, prophetic imagination and the voice of a prophet and uh, Christian anarchism and, and just the different viewpoints. And Mark lives in the area that, that the protests broke out there in Minneapolis and wanted to bring him on just to have a conversation of kind of a firsthand view of what's happening and maybe some of the voice of the church in that and and just some conversations around it. So I hope that you're well. I hope that you're safe. And I, uh, yeah, wanted to get this out to you as soon as possible. So here we go. Morning, Mark. Thanks for joining me this morning. So I was telling you a minute ago, but I'll tell everybody listening that a friend of mine messaged me and he's like, hey, you should have a conversation with Mark because a, Mark is where all of this is currently happening, or, or relatively close from what I understand. And and B, uh, he likes the he likes what you've been saying on social media and some of the things that you've been posting as well, and feels like your voice is an important one. But I am a slightly nervous, as I told you a minute ago, because I'm a white guy talking to a white guy about something that mm-hmm. isn't about that. So just get that out in the air right there. But good morning. Yep. Uh, good morning. And yes, uh I think it's really important uh, for me and for us, I guess, but to make this a disclaimer, I cannot speak uh, on behalf of in any way, shape or form, what black pain uh, looks and feels like. Um, I'm invested in this as someone who lives in South Minneapolis, which uh, ground zero is kind of started like a mile south of here, Mm. but now it's all over this. It's, it's intense. It's, it's everywhere all parts of South Minneapolis are burning at different places. Um, but I'm also invested because I, you know, I've, I've been involved in, in the best as I can in solidarity with the struggle for a while. And I think the fed upness um, is bigger. <laughs> it's, it's just bigger and it encompasses a lot of people. Yeah. And so I'll just speak for my small side part of that. Yeah. Well, there's also something to be said for being, actually present there um which i'm only getting being i'm getting everything through a lens of news and advertising and when people choose to go facebook live and when they don't but i don't see what happened before and what happened after so yeah and a lot of a lot of the news is kind of twisting things so i'm the reason why i'm talking is i want to communicate what i'm hearing and seeing in a way that kind of cuts through some of that twisting we'll do some of that so for people that have been living under a rock what we're discussing is George Floyd um, George being Floyd. being. I'm going to say murdered because that's how he I felt murdered. when I watched it at my desk, and I literally had to get up from. I was at work and I watched the video, and then I I literally had to walk outside. It just I I I was so angry, and I knew I was going to take it out on somebody. But can you walk me through? You said the media is twisting a bit. Can you kind of walk me through, or for anyone else that's like, yeah, I've intentionally haven't paid attention to any of that because it's not my problem. Like walk walk me through kind of what you're seeing. Um, there's, I think there's two angles to talk about this. So I'll start um, at the most immediate way of looking at it, which is, so George Floyd was killed. Uh, a police officer knelt on his neck um, after being called in for what I, I, I'm now learning is uh, 
person working at Cup Foods on 38th and Chicago in South Minneapolis called in as is routine when they received counterfeit money. Mm-hmm. That's kind of protocol. So it's not like anyone's out to get George Floyd as far as I understand. And so he was arrested for uh, allegedly using a, a fake $20 bill. And so they handcuffed him. There's no indication at all there was any resisting of arrest. And the officer, uh, Chauvin, uh, knelt on his neck for eight minutes, um, the last two of which he was unresponsive. And by all accounts that, that I've seen, he was dead probably before he got into the ambulance. So mm-hmm. he probably died on the street. Mm. Um, yeah. Now, what's happened now is like, you know, they did the first thing. The press is like, uh, did he did he arrest? Was he acting? Did he did he have it coming? Then they, they found out. Well, I don't think he had it coming. So uh, maybe he has a bad history. They always do this. What what's mm-hmm. wrong with this George Floyd guy? That maybe he didn't have it coming now, but probably generally had it coming. Yeah. Oh, he, he didn't generally have it coming. Oh, maybe he has a pre-existing condition. That's where it's at now. Uh, that somehow that some way to make it seem like maybe this police officer didn't do it. Meanwhile, most everybody, even my conservative friends are like, you know, that police officer needs to get arrested. So yep. this, is, this is part of the reason why this is such a big tipping point is because almost everyone at this point now agrees that something bad happened and that the police have no excuse. After a long chain of these around the country, um, but also particularly in Minneapolis, we've had a, the Twin Cities had a few of these high profile murders by cop. Um, but the other place that this is getting twisted is the response. So. Yes, uh, probably hundreds of buildings in South Minneapolis, um, well, beyond South Minneapolis, Minneapolis in general and St. Paul are, are on fire. Uh, there's been looting, uh, lots of protests, mm-hmm. um, and it's all being spun as these are people who are not honoring him properly. Uh, it's being spun as uh, Maybe these people aren't even from here. Like there's there's all kinds of rumors thrown about. And what to me at base is, yes, there are outside agitators. There are white supremacists here. The National Guard has been called in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just regular conservatives trying to stir up trouble and protect property with weapons. Like it's like, it's a shit show. Um, but at the base of it, there are still thousands of people who are angry and this is how their grief is coming out. And I think that is getting pushed aside uh, and people are talking now about the destruction instead of like what caused it. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where it's getting twisted. Yeah, I agree. I I've had so many people, um, being that I'm in the finance world for a day job. And then the fact that the primary bulk of my friends that still will talk to me, um, are extremely conservative just because of where I'm from. And then where I went to college, um, I have a, I, my small group of friends is not that well, actually some of them are, one of them is historically a moderate I was giving him crap last night. I was like, yeah, I can't do it. Um, why? So why is this one so much different? Like, is I like this one just feels different because this isn't even this won't even be the last murder like this this year. I'm certain of it. But why? And over the it's past a lot this year already. Yeah, yeah. Over the past, you know, years, things have been escalating. You know, you have Charlottesville. You, things have just been escalating. But why is this one so much different? Just because you have Atlanta, Richmond, people were riding in Richmond last night, which is an hour from me, like it, it, all across the the continent, basically. So why is this, do you think, so different than other ones? You know, this is, 
It's a good question. Um, and it's revealing something to me that Hannah Arendt, I think, talks about this in her book on revolution. I think that's the name of her book. But she basically says when revolutions happen, um, and this is at very least a small uprising. I mean, we need to look at it in those terms instead of like looting and rioting. It's mm -hmm. a small uprising. It's politically motivated. Um, and these things uh, don't happen because of organizing so much as eruptions. So this is an eruption. This wasn't a planned thing. Mm -hmm. That's part of why. In the past, when we've had things like this, there's been organizations on the ground who have been doing a lot of work, planning, staging, protests. And that often means they've been restrained. Despite, despite what we've heard in the past with interstate shutdowns, they're very, they're very disciplined things. Mm -hmm. right? This case, there wasn't that infrastructure because of a pandemic. People, like organizations were gathering. And so this just erupted into a vacuum of mm -hmm. people being distant, like out of, out of the public space. All of a sudden this happened, it reached a tipping point. There's so much pressure. The pandemic was causing pressure. Our neo-fascist president was causing pressure. Like people have been fed up with that. Mm -hmm. uh, this pandemic has exposed every bad thing about our society, including uh, rich people have become richer and poor people have become poor. Most of the people that have been out there, when I've been out there, have been young, working class people. So these are people that are feeling angry in general. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then this happens and it stabs that sense of frustration and pain and it comes spilling out. Um, so I think it's just the convergence of all those things um, hitting all at the same time, you know, and just the reason it didn't happen before is because it's just now we have as much pressure as we do yeah, and enough empty space for it to pour into. That's how I, that's what I think is happening. Yeah. I mean, I was, so I was, you know, I was, as I was talking with friends the other day, you just get on Twitter and you just see different cities popping up across the continent of, you know, Atlanta. And then uh, I saw someone talking about Dallas, that we've got to do something. And then I didn't even know, I just got on Twitter right before I spoke to you and I saw Richmond was a trending hashtag locally for me. And I started clicking through, I was like, this happened while I was asleep. Like I didn't even, didn't even know. And it's surreal because like, I've been hearing about this. I, I'm usually keeping up with things fairly well, mm -hmm. but it's so intense and chaotic here. It's hard to know what else is happening in the world. Like we've, I mean, this, the national guard has been deployed. Mm -hmm. So it's like really, it feels like a war zone. Yeah. Right. And so it's hard to know what's going on out there. And so I hear faint whiff, uh, whispers, uh, but it's, it's, it's scary when a, like an entire population of a city feels cut off from the world, which is kind of what it feels like right now. So you talked about the National Guard being deployed and I saw you had a, a live video maybe yesterday, day before yesterday, where you're just standing there and you could just see a row of armed guard soldiers. I don't know what the correct verbiage is. Uh, people, humans with with, you know, proper ammunition. What is that experience like? So what is their job there? I've never been through anything where the National Guard has had to be called in that wasn't like a hurricane or a flood or a tornado where they're basically coming in and acting as a uh, an extension of spreading, spreading out um, supplies and et cetera. So what is it? What is the National Guard's purpose or how does that work in a situation like this? You know, I haven't I've I've scuffled with the police since uh, since this happened, but I yeah. haven't engaged the National Guard except for during the day when they're standing there and things are calm. So I don't know what it feels like once the action starts, mm -hmm. I'll probably get an opportunity this weekend, but uh, 
it's weird because you know that they they're the only ones who have the the go ahead to maybe kill people. And that comes from the president or from the governor? Um, the governor's the one. The governor's the one who call, calls in the it's, it's the state national guard. Okay. Um, the president isn't directly involved, although. Uh, typically, the president doesn't have much say in this, but there is legal precedent. Hmm. The president could uh, basically uh, step in and take charge if he wanted to. There's, I mean, it would God be legally us. contested, but there's possibility for that. And that's the thing that's, I think, a scary thing that might be driving some of our governor's actions, trying to respond to this strongly to keep Trump from engaging it. Because that would be worse. Yeah. So I, I have sympathy for a governor with that. Mm-hmm. But so it's just it's intimidating because, you know, it's, it's the, the military is here and they're basically filling in the gaps that the police can't fill because the state patrol, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul police are all extended as far as they can go. And it's not protests aren't all happening in one or two places. It's happening multiple places in the evenings all over the city. And so that's why things are burning is because it's impossible to get. Yeah, the fire department to these different places. Yeah, um, yeah. but this the but this the idea that these people can are can use military force if they need to is an intimidation tactic, um, and it, it it makes things feel a lot scarier. Sure. Although they also seem more, to be fair, they do seem more reserved than the police. Is they, the guard doesn't seem like they're agitating people the way that the police has been agitating people. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guard also, from what I know of the guard, they're military, correct? Or usually like reserve military, or or I might be totally wrong on that. So they are much more highly trained and used to situations that are highly volatile, as opposed to police that are used to always having the power of whatever they happen to be, whatever room they happen to be in, they're the authority because they're the police. Or am I overstating that? Well, I mean, I think our police has been militaristically trained. I mean, this is a lot of major police departments have. So, uh, and the National Guard, I think, is they're trained for uh, disaster response and war stuff. Um, I also kind of tend to think that most guardsmen um, and women, that's not their main thing. They're usually called up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, they seem more like regular people to me than police who do this all the time. So, I mean, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Are they trained more to kill? Yeah. Um, they're trained for war, but also they're like, you know, they're weekend warriors. That's what you call National Guard. Yeah. Weekend warriors, because the rest of the time they're working at Napa Auto Parts and as accountants and teachers and whatnot. So how would you separate if someone says those people over there and even saying those people annoys me, but that group you. over there is... Um, yeah, without any virtue signaling or anything, that's just the best way I can explain it, are rioting. And these people over here are protesting. Like, what is the difference between those? Or are they two separate things or are they both acting in marriage with one another? Because that's, if you turn on the news, that's what you'll see. You, you turn it's on one a, news and it's, it's a, only riots. You turn on a different news and it's only protests. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, uh, there's maybe a distinction to be made but where do you draw the line? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so am I a rioter or am I a protester? I have no idea. You know, how do you, I've, how never, I've never done either except for from yeah, my so safe little castle. I was, I was protest. I was there protesting. I didn't cause any harm. But at the same time, uh, the other night I was standing next to people throwing uh, pallets onto a fire that lit up an entire apartment building that was being constructed and burnt down. Mm. So 
to me, that's an admission of being a, an accomplice at some level that I just made. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't expect anything to happen, but who knows? Uh, the target went off, like was people were looting this target. And did I go over to the entrance and see, oh, there's some LaCroix right near the entrance. I'm going to grab one of those. Am I a looter? Yes, technically that makes me a looter. So am I, loot- am I a rioting looter or was I someone who was just kind of like, protesting and trying to make the best of it you know i probably shouldn't be saying these things but like i was a protester Mm. bad stuff happens and then when this like when this these things happen you know you kind of you roll with it i wasn't mindless i wasn't setting things on fire but people were and it's not like i was stopping them yeah so uh, i could i have stopped them i don't know like it's hard to stop a fire once it starts and once the, by the time I got to the target, it was already gutted open. And so it's, I wasn't causing those things, but in some way I was a part of that pressure. From being down there mixed in with the crowd, do you see people just overcome with emotion, but they're not making logical decisions? They're just lashing out at anything that's there? Or are most people, for the most part, systematically protesting and 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 knowingly knowing what they're doing and i'm i'm trying i'm trying to make the thing of like you know when my son loses control he has no idea what he's saying he's just he's lost control i don't, I don't sense it's chaotic because it's not all it's not organized and so people are kind of just doing what makes sense in mm-hmm. the moment but it, it's it's been kind of weirdly peaceful i know mm-hmm. that seems strange but like so uh you know one guy was like throwing stuff onto the fire and he's like hey dude can you hand me that plank over there I'm like, oh, okay. So I hand it to him. He's like, thanks, man. You know, you bump into people and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, oh, no, that's okay, brother. Like, people are very kind. Huh. I have not felt scared of anybody. Now, there's outside people coming in, maybe in white supremacists and stuff that I'm scared of, but like the protesters yeah. are not acting mindlessly. Sometimes they get upset when they're tear gassed. I got some tear gas and it upsets you and you might start swearing at a cop, but I haven't seen people like freaking out raging. Uh, that's what is the yeah. purpose of a white supremacist group inserting themselves into the middle of a riot? Like why, if I was a white supremacist, I don't even know why I would be there except for to shout at people. It seems like it would serve logically no purpose for me to come except for to en- enrage more people. Is that what, what is, what is the mindset do you think behind someone that aligns with that to even show up to one of these? It's hard to know what, who's there and what's going on. I'm hearing all sorts of rumors, Mm -hmm. but at the very least, I've seen some people uh, who are at the very least conservative agitators, Mm -hmm. pickup trucks, just cussing people out. I think some of them are here because they think they need to help be a part, like a vigilante force protecting businesses. So they, some of those folks are involved in violence, trying to protect businesses. Um, I've heard some are here to are the ones actually causing the burning of some of the buildings just to kind of hasten things towards some sort of race war. Mm. That's the Boogaloo people. I think they're called. I don't even know. It's just a weird, I don't know who who comes up with these names. Um, (laughs) There's also a sense in which uh, they're trying to set up protesters so that the, the government comes down harder on them. Yeah. So, I don't know. You know, it's people like people get excited, like, oh, the thing that I've been wanting is happening. I mean, that's why leftists are coming into the cities. Like, oh, great, this is an uprising. I want to be a part of that. And like, I understand that 
mentality, but then there's the right wing version of it. Like, yes, there's an uprising. I want to be a part I've got to of do that. something. Like, but from the other side, yeah, um, yeah. Look at this this great conflict. If I was to rewind and go back, and I am one of the seven people, or I don't know how many people are on the sidewalk um, while George is being killed. What can I do as a human being? Like, is there any standing for me to walk over and be like, for real, take your hands off of him? He's already handcuffed. You're more than welcome to arrest me as well, but you can't do this. Like, do humans, like, I just don't know enough about policing. If if you were standing there, are you allowed to do that? Is that something we can do or no? Well, I have a lot of sympathy for people who didn't do anything because I've, uh, there's been several occasions where I've seen police engage someone too roughly Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, you know, people will say, stop doing that. And the cops will come and threaten you. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here or you're going to be arrested. We'll take you to, and they're, they're threatening. So it, it, you don't, it's not like you can do anything mm-hmm. except for like, give them a stern warning. And so when you see a cop doing that and there's other, other cops around, I can see why you wouldn't do anything thinking like, there's nothing I can do. They're going to do what they're going to do. This is the sense that you have with the police. I think you should try. And so this, 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 I think as a young woman who filmed this has been getting a lot of shit for not doing something besides standing there like a millennial and filming the filming. It was doing something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what more someone could reasonably do with the police who can just generally get away with murder. Like mm-hmm. if they can get away with murdering him, they can get away with just arresting that woman and doing what they want to her. So it's scary. But at the same time, I think we have to, we do have to film stuff we see going on and we do have to say, stop it. And then beyond that, I don't know what else you can reasonably do if you're just by yourself. What are you supposed to do? Like I'll tackle the police and hope you don't get shot. Like I don't, <laughs> there's no, there's no good choice. Yeah. Well, I was talking with a friend about that and I was, he's like, what would you do if you're standing there? I was like, I have no idea. I have no, I have no, I have no idea. No clue. Um, it's, it's the, it's, it's a, I don't know. I don't even have a good way to explain it. Yeah. It was, it was infuriating, but I thought I'd ask. Um, so a year from now, do you see anything changing with police forces overall as a nation where, um, because what I saw is if, if I had done that, if a police had walked by or driven by and saw me choking somebody on the neck, they would immediately pull over and I'm not presumed innocent. I'm going to get arrested and be taken to jail. If yeah. you did it, someone else did it, but a police officer does it and it takes many days to then have them possibly be arrested and then even more days to then go, all right, I guess we'll charge you. Like there's a, just a different level of presumed innocence, which isn't even the same presumed innocence as even a trial, which I don't even know how you try a case like this. Um, what do you see changing or is there any chatter from the governor or anything of this is what we need to do as a police force. This is the only way to make systemic change that this kind of thing is minimized. Cause I still think it's going to happen regardless of what laws you change. Cause there are still people that hate other people for no good reason. Yeah. I don't know. I'm pessimistic. Hmm. I mean, this is one of the reasons like I'm, I'm nonviolent. Like I don't believe in doing violence, but I'm also not going to just jump in and be judgmental towards people when they rise up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hear a lot of people at the system, like people have been working the system for decades, hundreds of years. It's not working for them. So this is actually putting some pressure. I do think that they'll make some, at least some sort of symbolic gestures, some legal tweaking. What I'm hoping it would happen um, would be 
way more civilian like oversight. I, you know, personally, I'm a I'm a police abolitionist. I don't think we should have police departments. I think they should be replaced almost entirely with other things. I don't see that happening. Hmm. Um, with, okay. Yeah, with, that's a whole other. That's a whole yeah, yeah. whole other thing. But like, <laughs> so so some things that I think are maybe more achievable, and you know, our Attorney General Keith Ellison, I think, is sympathetic to a lot of these things. So there's there's possibility that we might move, see movement on some of it. There's a group that I've connected with called Reclaim the Block, uh, that's working with the Black Visions Collective which is a young kind of group that kind of came out of Black Lives Matter locally. They kind of issued a statement um, saying like, this is what we need you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a couple of those things would be like massively taking some of the budget of the police and making it smaller and redirecting that towards better emergency response things. Mm. That I think is a no brainer. And to me, that's a step towards that sort of police abolition perspective, which basically is, look, we call the cops for all kinds of things. Cops are primarily, uh, they exist as groups of people who can use legitimate uh, force to stop bad things from happening. That's kind of what we think of as the police. They're the ones who get to have the guns. Mm -hmm. So when you call someone like that into a mental health crisis, they're going to be prone to respond violently. And that's not the best way to deal with the mental health crisis. Right. We need to have other uh, agencies that are trained specifically for mental health crises who don't have guns. So that's one example. Like all the areas, like break out into pieces, all the areas of things that police respond to, traffic violations, mental health crisis, uh, you know, you name it. And those things that don't, that don't really need a violent carceral response you break that part of the budget off and spin it off into more appropriate responses until hmm. the police force gets smaller and smaller and then take away their ability to use violence as much as you can. Like that's, to me, that's a reformist position that makes sense. Yeah. Although I have a few friends that are police officers and I wonder what they would say to that. I may actually call oh, I'm them. Sure they, I, I may call them as soon as we're done here and say, Hey, what would you think about this? Oh, I, I'm sure. <laughs> I've, you know, and I, we, Part of it is there's this allure, this kind of glow around police officers like we have around the military, that they're the thin blue line mm-hmm. protecting us from anarchy. Um, it, it It's still more dangerous to be a trash collector than to be a police officer. So it is there danger in the job? Is it hard? Is it stressful? Yes, yes, yes. But we can't act as though like they are the necessary solution to all these problems and enshrine that somehow. That's yeah. part of the problem. It's part of why they can get away with so much is because we think we can't, we depend on our boys in blue so much that we can't criticize them too strongly. Because what are the consequences? Violence in the street. I saw you make a post and, and I'm curious because of the, uh, I always approach things from a religious lens anymore because I can't mm-hmm. not do it. So you had had a post that said, you know, I'm going to go back out. I'm going to try to be safe. And I'm curious as to whether or not it even makes sense to wear my clergy collar. And I think I'm badly paraphrasing that, but what should be the role of the church as they're standing here witnessing or participating in all of this, not just in Minnesota or Minneapolis, but in all of the cities spread out across the country? Like what should be the role showing up for the church or for pastors or for whatever title you want to give that person? You know, this is where I kind of like, this is where my tension comes from. Like the reason why uh, I don't like wearing a collar it's because I don't like signaling that I'm some sort of detached, apart person from the struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I do think about it is because I want people to see a theological statement that God is here, right? What usually happens in these protests is 
they're, when they're organized and they're official and you have respectable leadership, at some point, clergy negotiate a time when they show up. I'm being kind of a little crass with this. And then they make a kind of a, it's like seems photo oppy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they make a statement or they show up and say like, we are somehow, we're not with them or them. We're somehow in the middle as observers and trying to keep everyone safe and handing out sandwiches. Like there's that kind of, just a, like a kindly detachment, the way a lot of mainline ministers feel detached from their congregation. Mm-hmm. It's like a professional distance. I don't think that's the good way to show up and not, not all clergy do. So when I were, when I do show up at all, whether I have a color or not, I'm like, I'm here with the people crying out for justice. It's not me supporting protesters. It's me as a protester. And I want what I think a good place to be would be for ministers and churches to see it that way. And then to bring part of being a religious or spiritual person in those moments is to come with eyes of compassion and as being as present as you can. To me, that's what it means to, to it doesn't have to be an official capacity. You don't have to have, uh, you know, papers, like official statements from your denomination or church. Like maybe those are, those are good, but I think first and foremost, show up, be present, uh, bear witness to what's happening speak the truth uh, um, on behalf of the oppressed mm-hmm. and do it with in a humble way without drawing attention to the fact that you, the church are doing it. Like that's to me a starting point. Mm. And then we can speak from what we see and then connect it like in our sermons, in our communications, to the world connect it to the message of the gospel, which is to me, uh, Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, you know, mm-hmm. to set the oppressed free declare the year of the Lord's favor. How does that connect, that declaration of the gospel connect to this moment? And how do we call people who follow Jesus to stand with the oppressed? And that's our call to the world. And then that comes from our action of actually standing with the oppressed. That's to me, that's the place and sermon. Do you feel like, uh, I don't know how to say his name. You said it different than I, I'm going to say Chauvin, but that's not what you said. Yeah, I don't know how it's... I want to call him Chauvin just because it makes me makes him seem like an, an idiot if I say Chauvin. Okay, I'll go with that. So <laughs> it's probably Chauvin. Uh, I think is well, how I'll go with Chauvin because why not? Um, is there any realistic expectation that when he is prosecuted, assuming that that happens, with the third degree murder that they charged him with, which annoyed me, I had to Google it to even see what a third degree murder was, and then I realized that it only exists in five states, maybe six. Um, is there any so the way that our justice system is built, is there any way that he will get a quote unquote fair trial, a, a jury of peers that can be impartial to the whole event, considering for the most part, everybody's seen that video that wants to see that video and everyone's already made a decision based upon that video. Um, and I don't want to th- show sympathy to him necessarily because I do think he murdered him um, any more so than I would want to show sympathy to anyone that's done something horribly wrong. But the way that our system's supposed to be set up is a trial of unbiased, impartial jury. Is that realistic, do you think, at all? No. I mean, I don't... I think they might land on something that's kind of incidentally fair, but I think what's going to happen is a political decision. Hmm. Because if, if, if it hadn't been filmed, he would have gotten off. Right. So when, he wouldn't have been probably tried for anything. And then the fact that it was... It's, it's going to be impossible for him to have an, an impartial hearing. 
And so I think the pressure is like, I, I'm assuming people are, it's going to sentence him with as little as they can get away with, without getting people too pissed. So they're going to strike the right balance. And so I think it'll end up being political. Like hmm. it's just like the manslaughter and third degree. It's like, those are both, oops, I, I didn't realize he's dead kind of charges. Uh-huh. They're not like, I, I saw this guy who incidentally, I don't know if they knew each other, but they worked for the same company for 17 years as security people. Hmm. The officer working the outside and Floyd working on the inside. So who like I didn't know that. They have a previous history of although it was a large like they it was entirely possible they didn't know each other, mm-hmm. maybe saw each other. Like so I don't want to read too much into it, but right. you could really easily make the case that, you know, this police officer was pissed off and went after this guy and took out his frustration and killed him. Like uh this idea that it's already it's like, well, we'll try to get him with manslaughter. It's already a political decision. I don't believe that he wouldn't have known that he killed somebody, um, to put it that way, because I have killed things before, you know, hunting and or other things. And you're always you can, aware of when it happens. It's not, oh, shoot, can, this happened. You can feel life leave something yeah. when your hands are on it. Yeah. If yeah, if I, yeah, if anybody said that. that is I'm just, talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about chickens. I'm, I've not killed a man, <laughs> um, but chickens, rabbits. Life is life. Uh, so you can tell, you can feel it. I want to try to wrap this up for people listening. And I'm just going to, I'm not even going to edit this. I'm just going to turn right around and and put it out because um, I think, I think, I think the conversation is, is warranted. So if you were to say one last bit of words of people hear this in an hour from now and they're like, okay, I still don't know what to do with my weekend and I don't know what to say on Monday. And I'm really confused about what flexibility I should have and how far I should push friends and family to say something or not say something. What would you say to people that walk away and they're like, I still don't really know if or anything I should do something or what I can do. What would you, what would you answer to that? Well, um, I understand that it's, and you know, it it can be, it can be difficult. Like when you're on the ground, uh, handling a bunch of people who want to know help and you don't like and there there can be like this uh unfocused energy kind of coming to the city and so i think one of the things i don't think would be helpful right now is just people hopping on buses and coming down to minneapolis st paul to be a part of the struggle mm-hmm. that's my take now if i heard if i hear something different from key organizers i'm going to change my, change my mind on that but like there aren't key organizers this is still a little bit like of a chaotic mess of different groups. It's not centrally organized. Um, but I do think most places, most cities in the United States have their own protests. And I think that's where maybe you should look for what's near you. Mm-hmm. And cause this to me is a spark of a larger problem. This isn't about that's oppressive supportive specifically um maybe i can find a way to like maybe you can post some of this or share it um with with your video but like i can name these like there's uh the minnesota freedom fund is a bail fund for those arrested in the protests Mm -hmm. uh there's a gofundme for george uh, floyd's family legit one is gofundme.com george floyd is the is the name for that um don't do the other ones uh, there's a church called Holy Trinity Lutheran Church that has been receiving donations and doing distribution as needed. Um, they're not keeping in the money. They're just working as kind of a, a quick response. They've been a site for medics and food distribution and water distribution. Uh, 
the North Star, North Star Health Collective is the one providing the street medics. That's different than the North Star that Sean King did, correct? Those are different things? Yes. This, okay. is, a health, this is a health collective. Okay. Uh, North okay. Star Health Collective. Uh, two other groups um, that are a little bit, I would, I would challenge people to consider these, even if they might seem outside of their political wheelhouse. Uh, Reclaim the Block and MPD 150 are both police abolition groups. And mm-hmm. so you might think, oh, we need police. Well, both these groups are putting pressure on uh, minimizing the police and redirecting the budgets towards other kinds of responses, like especially to things that do not require someone with a gun coming in. So I'd encourage people to look at them and consider supporting them. So that's Reclaim the Block, MPD 150, um, and then also the Black Visions Collective. Those are a bunch of groups that you can contact, find ways to support them, send them money. in the meantime, put pressure on your own police departments, be a part of the protests where you're at, uh, find out what their needs are. And in the meantime, keep your eyes open, pay attention, and don't give in to the, to the temptation to think, oh, this guy's arrested and once he's uh, sentenced, we can go back to life as normal. This, this is an opportunity to move past normal to something better. So we, sh- we, don't, we shouldn't let up. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you again for your morning. Very much so. I know it was really last minute, literally overnight. So <laughs> thank you. Um, thanks for, for making it work. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for connecting and uh, we'll see, see where things go.